Hi everyone, welcome to Storylines Making Life Visible, where we talk comics and illustrations and we look at storytelling through these mediums, ways of seeing and thinking through these forms related to identity and democratization of the forms. And we also look at the panelist's approach, approaches to these, uh, to the comics and illustrations and graphic novels and look at their inspirations and um, perhaps explore what's exciting around this in Malaysia and Southeast Asia. And joining me today, with great privilege, I'd like to announce uh, two fantastic, marvelous artists and uh, uh, illustrators and comic artists. First, we have uh, Erika Ng, Eisner Award winner for her Fried Rice webcomic. She's Malaysia's first. Eisner Award winner. And um, to top it all off, she just won a Ringo Award for the same webcomic as well. And our second panelist today is Karis Lok. She's a comics, uh, and a, a comics artist and illustrator who's worked in fiction, fantasy, for social causes. She's delved into arts education um, and uh, she's also the at comics and illustrations editor for New Narrative and has worked also with Netflix and Mekong Review. It's so great to have these two panelists here today. Hi, everyone. Hello. Hi, thanks for having us here. It's our pleasure. And so for the, for the, for the structure of this uh, uh, session, I guess, we, we're just going to have it as informal as possible. I'm going to ask some questions towards uh, 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 Erica first and then after that Karis but please chime in whenever you want to engage on any question or theme uh, and at the end of it we'll have a general discussion uh, 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 with everyone speaking so firstly Erica what can we say but congratulations first and Eisner the Oscars of, of, com of the comics world and then now most recently, a Ringo Award for your comics. Um, I mean, thank you. Probably the best thing that's happened to Malaysia this year, I think. Um, in this very tough year as well. What's this year been like for you? Uh, well, it started off really normal, and then, and then the ice new thing came, and the yeah. So, for me, I guess it's. I'm still, like, I, I experience quarantine like everyone else, but it's also been pretty crazy. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, um, and what's it like now winning a Ringo? Can you tell us a bit about that? Well, it's really weird how um, I won a Ringo because, because, like, all the other webcomics, they're really popular and they have huge followings basically so I didn't expect it, my comic to get picked um so I initially wasn't even going to attend the ceremony but then I was like no I got to so and then and then like Jean Lin Yang he's like right right so Erica Ng and I was like oh my goodness okay I gotta I gotta log in quickly <laughs> yeah <laughs> 
Fantastic. Remind us who genius again. He he wrote that fantastic novel, isn't it, about this Asian American experience? Yeah, I think it is called American Born Chinese, mm-hmm. and he's like, I mean, he's just very, very good writer and graphic novelist, like very respected. So it was really cool when I found out he was um, presenting the awards for my category. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fantastic. Great pride of Malaysia you are now, but um. So let's let's move to your web comic then, Fried Rice. Mm-hmm. Now people have described it with many things. Everyone's uh, reviewed it, uh, 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 local press especially. Um, and and when I read through it, it's not a finished work yet, right? No, no. So so how many more episodes to the to the whole thing? Well. Probably like, it's probably about halfway done now. Um, right. Basically, I'm just drawing the pages, but I've already written all of it. So I'm guessing it's going to be like another year of drawing it before it's done, done. Yeah. And uh, for the benefit of the listeners, I'm just going to describe it as loose as I can. It's about this young girl, Min, who's, who's looking to move overseas to do art. A kind of love letter, would you say, to your younger self? Yes, definitely. I wrote it for my high school self, <laughs> among other things, yeah. Mm-hmm. And so it's, it's autobiographical in a way? It's um, semi-autobiographical. So it's not non-fiction, it's still mm-hmm. fiction but it's based on real occurrences. Right. And um, so, so when I was reading through it, it was, had a very contemplative feel, right? Uh, a, a very intimate, where as if nothing happens, but everything does under the surface as well, with the soft light of watercolours and um, no real big dramatic climaxes. And this was um, intentional, right? I presume, on your part. Well, yes. Um, yes, it was. I wasn't trying to do anything uh, big or sensational. I thought I wanted to keep it as small as possible because well, for sustainability, like I want to make work that's sustainable in the long run mm-hmm. for me as the creator. But I also just like naturally gravitate towards such uh, stories right so some of the scenes really fascinating the motorcyclist in the tunnel looking at his smartphone in the rain you know uh, and um, private scenes in homes yeah uh, uh, during Chinese New Year it has almost a kind of cinematic quality yeah? it reminds me of, um, of, of filmmakers Japanese filmmakers like Ozu and Korida oh and, I love them Oh, <laughs> yeah, thank you for comparing yeah, me to them. You know, so I, I just want to explore this. Was did you, did you sense a kind of cinematic quality to it? Or does cinema inform your art? Uh, very much so, yes. I first studied cinema um, language before I got into graphic novels. So, nice. yeah, I would say that my first um, education in visual storytelling is through the cinema. I see. And um, so, so 
that sense of you know family conversations around food around the dinner table very much a kind of Eastern Asian cinema you know uh, 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 mood as well. Do you think that perhaps um, there is the other uh, way of looking at it that perhaps comics uh, uh, you know in inform cinema you know in the way that people storyboard and 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 illustrate uh, scenes for movies i know that uh it's an interesting question i know that filmmakers some of them they look at illustrators for inspiration mm. i mean some filmmakers are artists themselves like tim burton yeah so i would i definitely think that um like directors and cinematographers, they are visual artists, so they can mm-hmm. be inspired by illustration and novels as well. And I think a great crossover artist and storyteller is like Neil Gaiman. His work is yeah. adopted, adapted into like movies and graphic novels, and they also exist as novels. So he's mm-hmm. like a really interesting guy to study. If what's you're what's about by Gaiman? Oof. I would, I think probably like Coraline, even though I, after I read it in like standard six, I got nightmares for like a week. <laughs> I was so scared, but it's just one of those books that sticks to you, right? Yeah. yeah and the film sure. as well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So in light of all this, are you perhaps, um, are you interested in telling stories and expressing yourselves? Uh, yourself more or are you more interested in the qualities of the form like, like comics is is comics special to you or are you about telling stories no matter what mm, comics are i mean the, the the art form of comics is is special to me and i do like it very very much um right. for now i i don't know if i can possibly see myself telling stories outside of or at least straying away too far from comics right now I see. yeah fantastic and um, we know that your webcomic is online it's all for free right and people can immediately t- uh, tune into this podcast and read it immediately and there's a kind of democratization that's been brought about by the internet um, how do you think the internet has shaped or will shape the comics and illustration scene or industry? I think it already has mm-hmm. because artists of my generation, we grew up with social media. Yeah. So we kind of grew up seeing the best of the best work. So there's no, like the lines, geographical lines are blurred. Yeah. Last time it used to be like, you grew up in maybe a city with a lot of museums who are inspired by what you see in the yes. museums or in architecture. But now there's like, you just have to go on the internet and you can look at basically all the art. Um, yeah. While there is like, I think a danger in maybe overconsumption because I, I do think like young people can get overwhelmed by it and they can lose that maybe their identity, sense of identity. But there's mm-hmm. also a benefit to it. I've benefited from it. I learned a lot from the internet as a young artist. That's very interesting. So so kind of 
uh, overconsumption issues, but also democratization and the benefits it's brought. Do you think that perhaps with your work, would it have been, is it ideal for it to be in webcomic or would you still like it in the form of a physical book? Well, the, the way that it's formatted on the website, um, I made it so that it can be a physical book. So, yeah. um, I... That's in the future. Yeah, maybe. So I really do like the physical book as well. I think it's, it might be one of my favorite forms. Yeah, excellent. We'll get back to you, Erica, but, um... I want to bring Caris in for a moment. So, so just connecting to, to the work of Fried Rice as well, um, when we look at Erika's work, when we see the image illustration of post-Malaysia, right? Everyone who goes past that and reads a comic, uh, that post-Malaysia in Bangsa cannot see that post-Malaysia the same way ever again. When I walk past that post-Malaysia, suddenly I see it through Erika's drawings. Caris, what do you think about this? Is, you know, comics and illustration, they reflect the world, but do they also kind of inform what and how we see things around us, and perhaps even inform how we see ourselves? Um, definitely. And I think maybe in this case, I would want to reframe the question um, to think about it a different way. So rather than, you know, us consuming images, let's think about what would happen if all of us made images uh, if all of us mm -hmm. took up drawing, you know, as a regular thing, um, instead of thinking of it as something that's only in the domain of artists and creators. Uh, so imagine if right. everyone was used to the act of um, looking, right? Looking very closely, close observation, um, putting things down on paper, mm -hmm. becoming used to the choices yeah. that you're making while you're drawing. Um, I think that would really enrich everyone's lives uh, because you get, you become a lot more conscious of how you think and how you see when you are um, mm. in the middle of the act of drawing. So just looking at a picture is yeah. not enough, um, I think, to really encompass uh, what we're trying to get at here. Mm -hmm. Oh, fantastic. So you think that everyone really should draw or at least return to drawing? Didn't we all begin with drawing as children? Yeah, and I think, I mean, unfortunately, um, maybe in the case of Malaysia in particular, the education system does kind of beat it out of you. If you are lucky yeah. enough to go to a school where you have well-trained art teachers, um, access to resources, mm -hmm. then maybe you continue pursuing it. But I think for many other people, uh, from a lot of people I know, they end up uh, treating it as something that you know only um, artists do, uh, and that normal people or you know people who aren't trained formally can't do. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's a, that's a nice segue to perhaps um, let's talk a bit about your arts education work. I understand in Penang, right, and how this relates to it. Could you perhaps talk a bit about that? Yeah, so in Penang, I work with Arts Ed, uh, which is an arts and culture education non-profit. Uh, we've been around for 20 years already. Mm -hmm. um, actually, I think in Malaysia, it's a fantastic achievement for an arts NGO. So yeah. one of the things that I've done a lot is to work with high school students, so secondary school students, 
um, normally 15 to 17 years old. And um, we take them to the market, so Charasta Market, which is also one of the oldest markets in Penang and Malaysia. And using different art forms. Sorry? Sorry, no, Chao Rasta, it's changed so much, or has it been demolished a part of it or something, right? Uh, it's been renovated. Right, yes. Yeah, so the whole point of it is, and you know, you, you bring the students out there um, and they experience it with all their senses. They come up with research mm -hmm. questions and using an art form, they think through those questions, they find data, and then they synthesize the data into an art piece. So, for example, if you're interested in thinking about the ergonomics at the market, which is uh, how people work mm -hmm. safely, um, comfortably, efficiently, then perhaps you use drawing as the art form and then you, you draw people's posture and gesture as they work and maybe come up with you know, mm -hmm. your conclusions based on that. So, it's a way of um, helping students to know the culture that's around them in the same area where they live right. uh, and also teaching them that art isn't confined to galleries like art can be a tool mm -hmm. art can be a way of thinking art can be a way of interacting with your community so this is another way i guess other than the internet another way that you're trying to i guess democratize art right yeah, I mean, the and, word democratization, I mean, democratization is quite a big word and we would have to unpack that if we really wanted to get into it. Um, but yeah, I mean, sure. in a sense, yeah. definitely. Mm. Um, and um, what's interesting, so you talk about your work with the, uh, 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 your sketches and illustrations of the students. So we, I see a lot in your work also of folks at markets, illustrations and sketches of uh, folks at Bursi, at election rallies. And the way, what, what impressed me was it was almost like a historian or anthropological, anthropologist take on illustration and comics. It was almost like a, a document uh, other than its inherent beauty and qualities uh, uh, of narrative. But... Uh, they also kind of capture a scene of culture, of people, so almost journalistic as well. Um, I mean, would you like to talk more about that? Yeah, so uh, before I go into that, just a quick correction. So I am not a comics artist myself. Um, I'm definitely yeah. an illustrator, but I don't make comics, uh, which I think is uh, quite an important distinction here. Yes, but uh, so talking sure. about the sketches... Um, so for myself, when I set out to do them at first, all I wanted to do was to have my own kind of personal record of what was going on. Um, but then when I went mm -hmm. out and actually started doing those sketches, I realized that in a way they were presenting a narrative that was different to what we saw about the rallies and protests in the mainstream media. So when you say you have yeah. photographs and videos, a lot of those focus on the crowd and like the size of the crowd. Whereas when you're drawing, um, you have to make decisions about you know, how much can you put into one picture. Uh, you're also moving while you're drawing, so you can't do anything that's too complicated. Yeah. So in a way, it kind of reflected my desire to 
um, focus on like vignettes of people of like small little moments mm -hmm. and so in the end the drawings become um, like an alternative record of the event so to complement mm -hmm. you know what how other people were recording it with videos and photographs yeah mm -hmm. yeah no that's fantastic and and with your illustrations in general i rec i i i i, I to me, at least, the more I stayed with a photo, uh, an illustration, the more I got from it in the details. There's a lot packed in, 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 in a lot of your work. And it requires kind of active participation from the, the, the viewer or the reader to kind of dig these things out. Now, I've, I've, I, you've also spoken quite a bit about uh, the idea of the visual and how it relates to our experiences and to culture and societies. What is this about visual literacy? What is it and why does it matter? Um, okay, to, I think to give a very kind of pertinent example right now, um, for someone who does not have a certain level of visual literacy and maybe digital literacy, it's going to be very hard for you to distinguish um, images that are fake online. So if you do not know how to look at an image and think about how it was made, uh, who might have made it, what were their intentions behind mm -hmm. making it, um, as well as the more technical things like looking at the, if you look at a digital image, sometimes you can tell when things have been cloned or been drawn over. Um, right. It just, yeah, it, it really, um, I think makes a big difference in how you consume and think about information in the world around you. Um, and the world now for us is very visual, right? Like everything we see around us uh, has a very big visual component, maybe to the detriment of using our other senses. Like, you know, maybe we're not as good as smelling or hearing or thinking about touch anymore because the visual has taken over so much. Um, but yeah, I mean, the whole idea of like discerning the authenticity of information and images, I think it's really important mm -hmm. now that uh, we see what's going on around us with like elections and even COVID. There's been a lot of misinformation spreading. So literacy mm -hmm. is one way in which people can um, make sense of all this information. And what would be the place of visual literacy in respect of um, illustrations and comics. Do we need it to properly appreciate an, uh, a comic or illustration? So maybe you want to repeat that question because it was skipping a bit for me. So maybe for the recording sake, see, we sorry. should just do it again. Yeah. yeah. So, so uh, in, uh, for visual literacy, would you perhaps uh, benefit a lot or would you need it to properly appreciate uh, uh, a fully appreciate a work of illustration or comic? I think definitely. So on one hand, I mean, when illustrators are making images, we think a lot about how someone else is going to perceive it. And ideally, because now our work is trying to get to a wide range of people, you want things that can be read on several levels. So even someone who maybe is not very visually literate will still get something out of it. And then people who can read it further mm -hmm. will get more things out of it. So that's on one hand. On the other hand, um, I think definitely having 
visual literacy will enrich your experience of you know, just looking at illustrations and comics because you'll be able to appreciate how visual devices are trying to tell the story. So you know, how is the artist kind right. of moving your eye around the picture using things like composition right. or contrast, um, even being able to compare it to other images from the same kind of time period and visual language can mm -hmm. also add a lot mm -hmm. to the reading. I see. Oh, that's, that's very interesting. And um, so we, I also know that you do a lot of work. So as editor of New Narrative, uh, sorry, illustrations and comics editor of New Narrative, you are now editing a work called Sound, which is a Southeast Asian anthology of comics. And you've worked on Kajora, which is a collection of microfictions rooted in Southeast Asian cultures. You've also done work in costumes or uh, illustrating costumes uh, uh, that are rooted in Southeast Asia, adapting them uh, according to uh, almost fantastical elements. What is this attraction that you have towards um, Southeast Asian things or cultures in your work? I mean, it's just that, you know, if you grow up somewhere, you're going to know that place a lot better than you do other places. Um, and a lot of it yeah. definitely comes from, um, I think it's just love and care. Like you love the place that you live in. You love the people that you see around you and the cultures that you see around you. And you want to depict that in your yeah. work. Um, and that's obviously, that's not to say that the only thing that Southeast Asian artists can make uh, should be about Southeast Asian issues. Like obviously, we should be able to tell mm -hmm. other stories as mm -hmm. well. Um, but I think there yeah. is something to be said about the value of lived experiences when it comes to art. I mean, like Erica's comic is a great example of that. I don't think anyone who you know hasn't lived in Malaysia would be able to make uh, fried rice. For sure. Um, let's... Uh... Bring in Erica back in for a moment. Uh, Erica, what 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 is um uh what attracts you to a work of illustration or comics? I mean, what do you look for? Um, I look for uh not not the the first thing that uh, I looked for when I was a young artist will probably have been the technical ability. Mm -hmm. And then after that, it came to encompass like storytelling value, um, color, that sort of thing. And then now I mostly look for um, what what's the artist trying to say and, uh, and right. how are they presenting that in the visual form? And also like, how does this compare to the body of the work? You know, when you start digging into an artist's work and you start to recognize themes and uh, settings that they like. And it's just really fun to get into that. So I think that's what, that, that is what interests me. Uh, oh. Yeah. So what's inspiring you these days? What, 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 are, what would you recommend perhaps to listeners to read? Oh, uh, I actually have not been reading a whole lot besides, uh, besides 
religious texts <laughs> um, and uh, and short stories for my classes. But but I really love uh, Sufjan Stevens's work. He's not a visual artist, but he's a songwriter. And yeah. over the course of his albums, he kind of like traverses his country, like uh, or at least the Midwest is. No, he he does Oregon as well, but um, so Chicago and Michigan, and I just found like his albums so interesting because of how they're geographically rooted. Does so. he illustrate anything in his work? Um, I know he does a lot of the graphic art for his albums, uh-huh. and he's also a writer. Like he has a master's in English, so mm-hmm. yeah, he's just really interesting to me. Yeah. Uh, true indie darling, that one. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Um, and um, okay, we're at twenty-eight minutes in, but um, uh, Karis, what 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 attracts you to a work? And um, could you perhaps share something that you're really loving today, um, in illustration or or, or um, comics? I I think it for me it's different. Um. I mean, it differs from time to time. You know, like some days I wake up and I see something and I'm like, oh, that's just such a clever way of putting across a concept. Um, other times I look at the image and I'm like, you can tell that this person really cares about their work. So a lot of it is um, emotion. Um, and I don't, I don't think there's you know, any one single thing that I'm looking for in an image. Um, it really depends on what the right. person is trying to do. Mm-hmm. What would you recommend to listeners today? Something that inspires you in, in the world of illustrations and comics? Um, I think one one illustrator and you know graphic novelist I've come back to over and over again over the years is Sean Tan. So Sean Tan is the guy mm-hmm. who did The Arrival, which is a wordless graphic novel about migration and uh, refugees. He's also done a lot of other work. Um, his uh, newer collections are basically uh, short fiction combined with either sculptures or paintings that he does himself. Um, so I first came across his work when I was 17 years old in a school library. Um, so I picked up The Arrival and I sat there and read it in one go. And when I was done, I mm-hmm. said to myself, if I can one day make something like this, I will have, I will have succeeded as an artist. Um, so yeah, I mean, <laughs> over the years, I've just kept coming back to his work to see how he does it. And he's really transparent about his process. Uh, he writes a lot about how he comes right. up with his ideas. His uh, website is a good place to see mm-hmm. that. And even in his printed and published books, he has a, I think he includes his bibliography and he shows you where he's pulling from, like where he's doing his research. Right. And with his work on the arrival, since it's wordless, um, do you think that, especially when we're talking about visual literacy, and I think there's something special about that idea of a wordless comic, or is it just, you know, something that is, you know, it's novel, but it does not make it special in itself. Is there something to his technique? Um, I mean, I don't know if it's a, if that is a particularly useful question to answer. I mean, 
maybe yes in the sense that you know, he has his own way of um, telling a story compared to someone else who would who might also be doing a wordless graphic novel um, I think yeah. and you, I mean there's been a lot of things written about how the teachers can use the viral in class to uh, both talk about difficult subjects as well as and just teach like literacy um, but I think mm-hmm. I mean we have to be very careful about not reducing comics to just that like comics are not meant to be just a literacy teaching tool in schools um, they're not necessarily yeah. easier to read than text either because like you said you need to have a certain mm-hmm. level of visual literacy to actually decode a comic um, Mm-hmm. So I think for me, what I take away from the arrival the most is just how um, he's pulling from real life history and his own family experiences to tell a story um, that is on one hand very specific, but on the other hand also quite universal. So it's a great example of how um, I think the more specific a story gets, the easier it is for people to empathize and identify with it for sure i mean i remember that one saying that goes the deeper you dig a well you know you realize that the source is the same the water um it's fascinating um erica we'll come to the closing of this podcast and wonderful discussion but um what's next for you what are you working on or where do you see yourself going to in terms of work? Oh, I asked myself the same question. <laughs> no, um, I'm always kind of writing and drawing, but for now, I'm mis- mostly just concentrating on getting school done and getting fried rice done. Um, other ideas, they're kind of in the incubation stage. So I, mm-hmm. I don't think I have anything solid I can offer yet. Mm-hmm. Well, um, thank you. I hope all the um, listeners will tune in and read your comics. They're on friedrice.com, is it? Friedricecomic.com. I couldn't get friedrice.com. <laughs> I already took it. <laughs> and um, Karis, uh, would you like to talk about what's up for you or what you're working on that's exciting right now before we close? Uh, well, I mean, it's done, but I definitely want to um, encourage everyone here to check out the Sound Anthology. So it's an anthology that I co-edited along with Budget Tan. There are 13 different comics in it. And for Malaysian listeners, it should be available in Kino Kuniya and Hikayat Pinang next month, uh, which is November. But yeah, I mean, it's a great example of the breadth uh, of stories and storytelling approaches that we have in Southeast Asia. And I understand you also illustrated the wonderful cover for that, which people can already look up online, right? Yeah, there was a Difference Engine, who is the publisher, asked me to illustrate the cover. Excellent. Well... Unfortunately, that's all the time we have, folks. Um, I'd like to thank you. It's been such a great privilege to have Erika Ng and Karis Lok with us. Um, thank you, Erika and Karis. Thank uh, you. 
Uh, thanks for having us, Carl. No worries. And uh, this has been uh, Georgetown Literature Festival's storylines, making life visible. Till next time. Thanks for tuning in. Thank you.